morning. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we, um, we come to you this morning in Christ, because of Christ. Um, we ask God that above all else, you would be glorified today. Pray, Lord, that you, in fact, would glorify yourself in us and through us. I thank you for your word and what it is. Um, it's your self-revelation. We thank you for, for what it does, what it's, what it's done in our lives. We pray, God, that you would continue to use the, the proclamation and, and the hearing of, of your word to save, to sanctify. God, we know that that, that honors you and that glorifies you as, as you continue to save people and as you continue to sanctify those whom you've saved. And we also know that it's, it's, it's for, for our good as well when that happens. And, and w- what a mystery that is that we get to gain um, from your glory. And, and it is a mystery. It's a, it's a wonderful mystery. And so we praise you for that and we thank you for that. We pray that you would continue that work. Can we thank you for today? And we pray, Jesus, above all else, that your name would be magnified and lifted high. Amen. I have to, first thing, I have to, I have to apologize. I, I don't have a, a couple, actually, things. Uh, one, I don't have an outline for you this morning, so I, I kind of ran out of, out of time and, and preparing, and, and I, I intended on getting one together, and I did not. So I will do my best as we go through this morning's sermon to, to just give you that as we go along and, and, and to keep it orderly in that sense. Um, uh, another thing is we, we finished, uh, whenever it was last, it's February. I know, i got to stop and say it's February. It's hard to believe. But the second Sunday in um, January was the last time I preached, and so we looked at the Ascension, right, from, from Acts chapter 1. And so today we're going to be looking at 1, 12 through 26, right, kind of the post-Ascension narrative prior to the day of Pentecost. Um, but I want to kind of give you an idea of where we're going. So we're going to look at that today, and then... Um, Next month, I'm not going to be preaching next Sunday because we're going to have a, a, a guest, um, a pastor, preacher, teacher here. So um, I'm excited about that, and uh, I, I hope you are as well. I think it'll be good for us. Um, so, so that's going on next Sunday. But in uh, March, um, I'm not going to. I'm going to continue with Acts, but not Chapter Two. Before we get to the Day of Pentecost, what I want to do is I want to spend two two sermons. Um, dealing with the Holy Spirit, right, which I think is appropriate. And I told you um, the, within the first two sermons of Acts that we're going to get to this. You know, he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, and I said, I'm going to address that, just not yet, right? And so what I'm going to do is we'll have one sermon, and we're going to just talk about the role of the Holy Spirit, the nature and the role of the Holy Spirit, okay? So in March, that first Sunday, Lord willing, that's what we're going to address is, is just the, the Holy Spirit, the, the person, the work, the, 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 the God, right, that he is uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, and then the second Sunday of March that I preach, then we'll talk about what is, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? Okay? And so we're going to deal with those before we get to the day of Pentecost. Okay? Um, and and I, I think that's an appropriate order, an appropriate way to do things, just to make sure we have a proper understanding of the person and work um, of the Holy Spirit and our relationship to him when it comes to being filled by the Holy Spirit and, and baptized, if you will, um, by the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of what we've got, we've got coming up. So just to kind of throw that out there to you. Um, and so today, coming back now, um, Acts chapter 1, 
verses 12 through, through 26. And I, I, I titled this, this sermon. Some of you will get it. I'll explain if you don't. But I titled this sermon. As, uh, I love it when a plan comes together. Right? That was actually a quote. Uh, my favorite show Okay, one of my favorite shows of all times was the A-Team when I was, I was a kid, right? And John Hannibal Smith, at the end of every episode, when everything worked out exactly like they intended it to work out, he would always say, you know, I love it when a plan comes together, right? And so, so that, that was, that was what, what I titled our sermon today, and, and this is why. And we're going to see this in this text, and we're going to see this uh, throughout. Really, we see it throughout Scripture, but we're going to see it specifically throughout Acts. Is um, It's this. God always has a plan, and his plan always comes together. So let's look at Acts, or turn to Acts now. Uh, Acts chapter 1, um, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called, in their own language, Ekeldama, that is, field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was um, also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry, an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. They cast lots for them. The lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So I've kind of uh, uh, broken down real quick just to give you an outline. Um, broken down this text into kind of three sections. And so we're going to look at verses 12 through 14, dealing with kind of the, the initial reaction of the apostles. Okay, And then we're going to look at 15 through 20. And, and that's the reason for Judas. And then uh, verses 21 through 26 is the replacing of Judas. Okay, and so that's kind of how we're going to look at that today. And I think about the apostles and the disciples. I mean, post-Christ's ascension, we talked last time. I mean, one, right before his ascension, they, they were asking him if he's going to restore the kingdom, right? I mean, and then, then boom, he's gone. I mean, their heads, all right, from the past, what, 43 days, right? Because we know that Christ's post-resurrection time on earth is 40 days. I mean, think of what they've experienced. I mean, one minute they're with Jesus, right? And in their minds and their hearts, they're probably thinking about ministry and going forward and all of this stuff. And the next thing, here he is 
betrayed, handed over, murdered, risen from the dead, with them for 40 days. They're thinking, yes, it's here, it's now, and he's gone. Right? I mean, so, so all that they've experienced, I can only imagine just, just how, I can't, I can't even imagine what's going on in their minds at this point. I mean, their heads, as we would say, must be, must be spinning, right? But we know this, that their initial reaction at this point was obedient, okay? It says, verse 12, they what? They returned to Jerusalem, right? They returned to Jerusalem because Christ told them to what? He said, wait, if you go back to Acts 1-4, he says, while staying with them, he ordered them what? Not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Okay. Jesus ordered them to remain in Jerusalem and wait for the promised Holy Spirit. And this is, this is what they did. Right? So they initially, right, post-ascension, right, we do see their obedience, right? In verse 12, just some, some, some historical, factual information. They returned out of obedience, right, to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, right? So this is where we know that Jesus, right, ascended from the Mount of Olives, okay, um, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Sabbath day's journey, that's about three-quarters of a mile. Right, according to the, their, their their customs laws, whichever Jewish whatever it was, not in the Bible, um, but you could only travel about two thousand cubits a day, or on on the Sabbath, not a day, but on the Sabbath you could only travel about two thousand cubits walk. Right, and so they're saying that the Mount of Olives was about two thousand cubits from this upper room that they were going to. Doesn't mean it happened on a Sunday. It's just historical information that Luke is, is giving out, right? So we know that they were well within proximity to Jerusalem, to the Mount of Olives. They were right there. It says when they entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. And, and again, it kind of lists who was there concerning the uh, uh, apostles, right? And who had been there for the um, ascension, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Jude. All of these, is this one on too? Yeah, you can give me thanks. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Right? So we see that they're not only being obedient, but they're being prayerful. Right? They are prayerfully anticipating the Holy Spirit. Listen, they desired the fruition, right? the, 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 the fullness, if you will, of God's promise. And, and so they... And so they prayed for it. I was, as I was going through various commentaries, um, there, there were differing viewpoints on, on what the apostles, disciples, right? The early church. I mean, this was the early church, right? This was the church. Like the people that were in the upper room, that was like, that was the beginning, okay? These folks, this is where, this is where the church all began, right? From a human perspective, this was the start of it. And so as I'm, as I'm going through various commentaries and I'm studying this, there's, there's some differing opinions about what, what disciples were, were praying for. Now, listen, we know that, that, that prayer is not just one, just asking things, right? I mean, I think sometimes we think that, right? When we pray, that's just when we ask things of God, 
right? We, oh, we need something. We, we, you know, be it if we're interceding for someone else or something for us or whatever the case is, it seems like that, that tends to occupy the vast majority of, of, of prayer, right? At least uh, um, for many in Christendom. But we know that, that that's not simply what prayer is. I mean, prayer is our, our time, what, communing with God. It's when we, when we specifically, what, spend time either individually or corporately communicating with the Lord, right? And, and when we do that, we, we do it in many ways. I mean, we do, we do ask for stuff, right? We do um, at times intercede for, for other believers, right? We make supplications to the Lord, right? We also know that when we pray, we, we spend time, and we should anyway, in, in confession, right? We should spend time um, praising God and, and adoring God, right? And so we should be doing all of these things. So, so there's no reason to believe that they weren't doing all of this as they were praying. I suspect they were doing all of, all of that as they were, as they were praying, okay? Um, but, but I believe that they were specifically praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, and this is where the commentaries kind of differed. Some were saying, well, why would they, why would they pray for what, what God had promised, right? I mean, if God had promised it, then really there was no need, need to pray for it. And, and I, 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 dis, I really disagreed with that. Listen, we know that, okay, that the coming of the Holy Spirit was a guarantee, right? Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and, and wait. He's coming. Now, one, they didn't know when this was going to happen, did they? Right? They didn't know, was it going to be this afternoon when we get back tomorrow? Was it going to be in 10 days? Which it was. <laughs> Was it going to be in 10 months or 10 years? They, they didn't know. They just, knew, they just knew it was coming, okay? And knowing it was coming, right, we would know that they, they, they obviously desired it, okay? So even though it was a guarantee, right, why wouldn't they pray for in part what they desire? Listen, Christ's return is a guarantee. He's coming back, Right? He's coming back. And as believers, we should not only anticipate that, we should pray for it. And we should, we should pray for it. We should pray for it because, because we desire it. Right? We know that God will never leave us or forsake us. Right? We know that. And that's a promise and, and that's a guarantee. But we should desire that so much that, that we pray for it. Right? We know that God... Right until Christ returns, we know that God is going to continue to save, and we know that God is going to continue to sanctify. Right? Those are those are guarantees. He's going to continue to save, and He's going to continue to sanctify. But we should desire that so much that we should be praying for it. Right? Listen, we know that God's will will be done, right? But we should earnestly be praying for it. Jesus did, didn't he? Let's look at a couple passages here. Let's look at, um, let's look at Luke twenty two forty two. Luke twenty two forty two. Jesus said, what? Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Of course, he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Listen, Jesus, Jesus knew the outcome. He knew what was coming, right? He knew what was coming. He knew what the Father's will was, okay? And he knew it was a guarantee. And, and yet he was what? He was praying that God's will would 
be done. Not that he desired so much to suffer, but, but, but that he desired for God's will to come to fruition. Right? We see it in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, um, Matthew 6, 9 through um, 13. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What? He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, God's will will be done and we should desire it so much that we can't help but pray for it not that god needs us to right i mean he doesn't i mean listen god god doesn't need us to pray for christ's return in order for christ to return okay god doesn't need us to pray for salvation and sanctification for salvation and sanctification to occur. God didn't need the disciples and the, the apostles in that upper room to pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit in order for the Holy Spirit to come. In fact, it was more for their benefit and it's more for our benefit that we pray in these ways than it is for God's benefit. Now, I mean, it does benefit God in the fact that God is glorified, okay? But, but it doesn't change anything within God when, when we do these things. But the fact is this, is that we should so desire to see God's promises and to see God's will to come to fulfillment that we pray for these things as really a reflection of our heart, not, not so much as a, a reflection of us trying to get something from God or to convince God to act in a certain way. Of course, we could give, I could give, give countless examples of, of this, right? Um, and I'm sure we can think about the many things in our lives and the many ways that we can pray and we can pray according to God's will. We go on a, one, that, one that I've thought about, Randy and I've talked about this, but it's like we're getting ready to go on a trip and, we, we, you, know, and, and you say, you know, Lord, be with us on our trip, right? We've gone back and forth and God's going to be with us, right? I mean, we, we know that, right? And we know sometimes we use phraseology that means one thing and says another, right? But, but the reality is, as we know, he's, he's never going to leave us or forsake us. But, but we should so desire for his, the, the, the sense, if you will, of his abiding presence in our lives, right, that, that we pray for. Right? I, I know that he's never going to forsake us or leave us, right? But, but I want to feel that presence. I want to know that. Not just, I mean, I want to intellectually, I want to emotionally, I want to be filled with that. And so we, we pray for that and we ask that. Knowing that it's going to be true, we still desire it so much that we ask for it. So they were praying and they were praying um, really with one accord. The, the, the church and its leadership, I mean, they, they, were, they were unified. They were, they were a small group. We're a small group. I kind of like this, right? But they were a small group, actually a little bit bigger than us, right? But it was a small group. There's no, no mega church here, right? And this is where it all began, right? And they were unified. I was thinking about the unity of, of the early church. Now, now you know, post-crucifixion, um, post they really weren't that unified, were they? What did Peter do? He was like, I'm, I'm going fishing, guys. Right? He, was, he was back. He was, he was gone, right? Now, post, post-resurrected, post-ascended Christ, we see the church unified. Um, as I was thinking about that, right, um, the reality is this. The, the unity that, the, I'm going to say the first church. Let's call them that, all right, just for, for the sake of this sermon. 
because the, they really were, in a sense, the, the first church. I mean, that was the first Christian, if you would, congregation meeting to, uh, together post-ascension. Uh, um, the, the unity that they experienced can be experienced by the church today. I mean, they, they had nothing that, 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 we, that we don't have. In fact, right, because this is still before the coming of the Holy Spirit, we have something that they didn't have at this point in the upper room, and that was the Holy Spirit. So, so pre-Holy Spirit, we, we see uh, the unification of, of the church, right? Um, the reality is, 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 aside from the Holy Spirit factor, right, um, they have exactly what we have. And it's, it's not common experience. Listen, common experience does not unify the church. I want you to understand that. Common experience does not unify the church. Um, common social or economic status does not unify the church. Well, we got a poor people here, and we got the wealthy people, and the wealthy people's church, and the poor people's church, or the haves and the haves not church, or the cowboys church, and the the welders church, whatever, right? The, those things don't unify the church. There's only one thing that unifies the church, and in fact, it's not a thing. It's a it's a person. It's it's a God man person. It's Christ, right? And so the unity that the first church, if you will, experienced, right, can be had by all churches, and by churches I mean, you know, local congregations, right? If, in fact, the unifying factor is Christ. Now back to Acts um, chapter 1. So again, we see this picture of the of the first church, and they're obedient, and I would say they're prayerfully obedient, and they're unified in this. And it is, in part, an example for us to follow, because we can have that as well. And as they're there, it says in verse, um, verse 15, it says, Moving on to the second point, the reason for Judas, right? Um, it says in those days. Now, now again, what it means by in those days is post-ascension, pre, um, pre-Pentecost. It was 10 days from the time that Christ um, ascended into heaven to the time the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. It was, it was 10 days. So by saying in those days, it just means in that, in that interim period, right? While they were up there in this upper room, as they were worshiping together, fellowshipping together, praying together, uh, I imagine reading scripture and sharing scripture together and doing all that the church does. It says, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. Now, you know, I, I love this. I love, all right, so Peter, what a, what a great thing going on here. What a great testimony of, of God's work in Peter's life. I mean, this, this is the Peter, which is, which is amazing, right? This is, this is the Peter that prior to Christ's um, uh, crucifixion attempted to rebuke Christ, right? Okay, so, so Peter didn't get it, right? Um, so, so this is the Peter that tried to rebuke Christ. This is the Peter that did what? Denied Christ. How many times? Three times, right? This is the Peter that denied Christ. This is the Peter that as soon as Christ was, was dead, right, 
He was he was back to his old lifestyle, wasn't he? He was like, I'm I'm going, I'm going fishing. I'm just I'm, I, what else? You know, I'm going I'm I'm back to old ways, right? This is the Peter that Jesus had to ask three times if he loved me, right? Because because he didn't he didn't he didn't get it, right? And this is this is the Peter that would become the the pastor's pastor, okay? And so what we see in part. Though, though this is pre-Pentecost, right, we still see even here uh, the Holy Spirit working in and through Peter's life to open his eyes to the truth. And what he's about to say concerning Judas, right, it's like Peter's getting it right now. It's not because he's getting it because he's good, right? He's getting it because God is, is working in his life and working through his life and revealing things to him that only God could reveal. But it's exciting to, to see this work going on in Peter's life, right? So it says again, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Again, I, I think about this, right? And right, remember when Peter, uh, uh, when, when Jesus said, who do, who do people say that I am, right? Well, some say you're, you know, so-and-so and such-and-such and whatever. And Jesus says, no, 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 but who do you say that I am? Remember what Peter said? He said, thou art the Christ, okay? And then Jesus says, well, how do you know that, right? Well, how did he know that, right? Because God his Holy Spirit revealed that to Peter. So, so concerning this passage of Scripture, right? He's saying the Scriptures had to be fulfilled. In the back of my mind as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, Peter, how do you know that? Who, who told you that, Peter, that these, these psalms that you're about to quote were about Judas, right? How do you know that? Because the Holy Spirit revealed that to him. So again, we see his working in his life, which is just exciting. He says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit beforehand spoke, I'm sorry, spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. So one, Holy Spirit, what? We understand didn't come till Pentecost, but was doing what? Was working in the Old Testament. Again, we're going to explore that next month. I'm excited to do that, but yet just a little picture of that, right? Um, concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who rested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. I think about this for a minute. I mean, they have to be absolutely blown away by what happened. I mean, the, the, the other apostles and the disciples. I mean, Judas, Judas was one of them. I mean, prior, prior to his betrayal of Christ, I mean, they would have said, oh, he's solid. I mean, he's, he's, he's to the death. He's on board. I mean, they, they I, I suspect, would have never even questioned his, his, his motivation, his intentions, his salvation, if, if you will, right? And so all of this happening, right? I mean, now glorious resurrection and ascension, but they're still probably just completely blown away by Judas. Like, I mean, we never saw it coming. I mean, you know, we've had experiences like that in life, right? Where, where people have maybe either betrayed us or other people that we know, or you've watched something on the news and you're just like, un, unbelievable, right? Well, well, all of those unbelievable circumstances or experiences that we've had like that completely pales in comparison to the betrayal of the God-man by one of his closest um, uh, friends, if you will, okay? 
I mean, just imagine in part what, what the church is, is thinking concerning Judas. How? Why? What? What was Jesus thinking? I mean, if he was God, which he is, he should have known better than to put Judas in, 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 in position as an apostle. I mean, that was a poor choice, right? I mean, he could have chosen. I mean, I mean I'm just thinking the flood of emotions and thoughts that must have been going to the early church when they're thinking about Jesus and, I mean, Judas and Jesus and, and all, that, all that transpired. Let me continue reading this. Um, again, picking up in um, 18. Uh, again, I'll say 17 again. For, for he was numbered among us, right? He was one of them, the apostles. He was allotted his share in the ministry. He was a partaker of that ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. Uh, again, Judas didn't buy a field. Remember, um, what did he do? The, the, they gave him the, the money, right, for betraying Jesus. And, and he went and he did what? He, he threw the money onto the floor of the temple or wherever it was. And they took that money. And it was blood money. So they, they didn't want to keep it. So what they did was they went and bought a field with it. So that's why it's saying he bought a field. Well, a field was bought by Pharisees with this, this blood money that they tried to pay Judas with for betraying Christ. Um, and, and falling headlong, we know he hung himself, right? Um, it says falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, I believe. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, but that is the field of blood. So again, here's what happened. He hung himself probably over a cliff, which would have made sense if there was a branch over a cliff, you know, and his feet would have dangled. Possibly the rope broke and he hit the rocks and he, he burst open or something along those lines, right? This is, this is what the, the, they're recounting. Um, and then Peter here quotes uh, the Psalms. He says, for it is written in the book of Psalms. Again, who taught Peter this? We know the Holy Spirit. May his camp be desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. Uh, that's just referring to that Psalm 69:25, And that's just referring to the vacating of his apostolic office. Okay. And then it says, um, let another take his place, dealing with the replacement of, of Judas. Here's what Peter's saying now. He, he knows that, 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 that the group is hurting as a result of Judas's betrayal. Not only are they hurting, they're, they're completely, again, just, just blown away by it. But, but here's what Peter's saying. Guys, Judas, Judas was God's plan from the beginning. Okay? This, was, this was God's purpose. This was his design. This was his doing. Let's look at John 6, 64. We, we see this. We know this, right? Jesus, what were you thinking, picking Judas? Come on, man. No, what does Jesus say in John six sixty four? Six sixty four. Jesus says, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Listen, when Jesus called Judas, Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. When Jesus called Judas to be his apostle, right? Jesus called Judas for the purpose that Judas would betray him, right? Listen, but Judas was responsible for his wickedness, right? I mean, this was, this was all a part of God's plan. Judas was God's plan from the beginning, right? Jesus chose Judas for the purpose that Judas would hand him over, okay? 
Jesus, but God is not responsible for Judas' Judas wickedness, his evil, his sin. Judas is. And when we see this, let's look at Acts 2.23. In Acts 2.23, it says, um, God says, this Jesus, right? Part of Peter's sermon here we'll examine in several weeks, but this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So whose plan was it that this would happen? It was God's plan, right? But then what does he say? You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So who is responsible for the, the, the greatest evil act that has ever occurred in all of humanity and will ever occur? Men were. Whose plan was it? God's plan. Who was responsible for the sin? Man was responsible for the sin. God, this is an example, and you've heard me say it, and, 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 and you've heard Randy say it, and you'll hear us say it again. God uses sin sinlessly. So this is God using sin sinlessly. Listen, God had a plan. God has a plan. And God's plan is always accomplished. Always accomplished. Uh, uh, Isaiah proclaims this. Isaiah 46.10. Isaiah 46.10 says, Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, what does God say? He says, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Right? Again, we can be confident that not only does God have a plan, but his plan is always accomplished. That being said, when stuff in life happens, right, albeit good or bad, we can confidently say this is a part of what? This is a part of God's plan. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean we necessarily understand it. We might never understand it this side of of heaven. Yet nonetheless we we can know that it is a part of God's plan. Listen. Thinking about this, obviously in regards to Christ. I'm thinking about it in regards to, to us. I mean, what, what is it here regarding God's plan? How does this apply to me? Listen, first of all, I want to say this, right? We know that God's will is always done, right? God has a plan. His plan is always accomplished, right? Good or bad, right? We know that God uses sin sinlessly. And we know according to Romans 8, 28, that God causes what? All things to what? Work together for the good for those who love God. It's an important part of that verse. To those who love God and call according to his, his purposes. So that, 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 that verse applies to believers, not unbelievers. Okay? Now, God's will is still done in their lives, right? Not necessarily for their good. Like, we can apply that to our lives as believers for our, our good. But thinking about this, and thinking about this in relation to, to us, I mean, thinking about God's plan and the fact that his, his plan is always accomplished in relation to us. It's this. First thing is this. Listen, I want you to understand because um, it's easy when good stuff happens, right? I mean, oh, you know, I mean, when, 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 it, when life is easy, it's no big deal, right? I mean, that's it, isn't it? I mean, when life is easy and when, when times are good, then it, it's, it's no big deal. But, it, but when, when life is hard, right, and when bad things happen, well, that's when it gets a little bit, gets a little bit tough, right? The pill becomes a little bit harder to swallow, doesn't it? And so the first thing is this, right? 
bad stuff never happens to good people. Right? Do you understand that? I'm just thinking about it in relation to us, right? Bad stuff never happens to good people. Okay? Oh, why is that? You know why that is, right? Because what did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? Why do you call me good? For there's no one good but, but God, right? So, so bad stuff never happens to good people. Bad stuff happens to bad people. Okay? So that's, that's the first thing. Okay? Listen. When bad stuff happens to redeemed people, all right? Believers. When bad stuff happens to redeemed people, to his people, understand that it, he's sovereign. Okay? And it and it happens to or happens according to his will, right? And he will use it for his glory. And he will use it for your good. He doesn't he's not the author of, of the sin if there's sin involved in that, okay? But again, it's God using sin sinlessly for his glory and for your good. And we see that with the crucifixion of Christ. We saw that. We I mean listen, I mean Bad. That's the only time something bad happened to someone good, wasn't it? Right. And it was for God's glory and for His good. It's for your good, wasn't it? It's for for our. It was for our good. So what a great example of God using sin sinlessly according to His perfect plan for His glory and for our good. And if it applies, if it applies to the death of Christ, okay, these truths apply to the death of Christ. I promise you those same truths apply to your life when you get sick or when you lose a job or when someone abandons you or whatever the case might be. Verses um, back to Acts 1, um, 21 through 26. Um, we'll pick up Peter here talking. He's, he's, they're dealing now with the replacement of, of Judas, right? Just quoted Psalm 109, um, 109.8, and he said, let another take his office concerning Judas. So the first one was the vacating of his office. The second one is taking his office. It says, um, or he says, so one of the men, this is Peter speaking here, okay? Um, uh, uh, or, or, yeah, I think it is still Peter. He's kind of back and forth. But So one of the men who have accompanied us, yes, it's Peter, during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So he's kind of given the requirements for replacing of Judas. He's like, listen, we've, we're going to replace him, right? One, the Psalms proclaim that we need to pro- replace him, right? And so he gives some uh, requirements. He needs to be with them and Jesus from the beginning, all right? That is uh, the beginning, from the time of John's baptism, right? The beginning of Jesus' public ministry, okay? It was a, needs to be a witness to the resurrection, all right. so, some would argue that wouldn't, wouldn't the Apostle Paul have made a great fit for, for this replacement? Well, according to the requirements that Peter gives here, no, because Paul wasn't with them from the beginning. He wasn't there from the beginning of Jesus' public ministry to the, to the resurrected, ascended Christ. Okay? So that would just kind of uh, exclude Paul. The other thing is this, and it deals with the, the need for replacement. Okay? Well, why did they even have to replace him? Right? Why even 12? Okay? Listen, um, the 12 apostles in part, represent the leadership and the fulfillment of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. The, the 12 apostles were, in part, uh, also look at it, at it this way, they were, they were Israel's pastors, as far as the, the, the church is concerned, okay? Not national Israel, but, but, but um, uh, uh, elect Israel, if you want to look at it that way, or saved Israel, or, or, or whatever the case might be. Who was Paul? Paul was the, the pastor missionary to what? The Gentiles, wasn't he? Another reason why why Paul 
wasn't wasn't a good fit or would not have been a good fit or a good replacement. Okay? Concerning again, replacing, um, replacing him. Well, did he even have to be replaced? Well, again, Psalms proclaims it, right? We understand that 12 represents the, the fulfillment of the 12 tribes of Israel. Revelation 21, 12 through 14. had a great high wall with, what, 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And on the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Right? That includes, that includes Matthias. Okay? So, Back to Acts 21, I'm 12, I'm sorry, 12, I don't even know where I'm at now. Acts 1, sorry, 21 through 26. Peter says, and, and um, so Peter stopped speaking, and now this is, this is Luke here, and Luke says, and they put forward two, right? Joseph called Barsabbas, um, who was also called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, and I was quoting here again, you, Lord who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place, right? And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Um, so we know that Matthias was the one that was chosen, chosen via the casting of lots. Now listen, most likely they had marked stones in like a pot or some sort of vessel, right? You know, this one with an M from Matthias, maybe this one with a J or a B for Justice or Barsabbas, and, and we're going to shake the pot and whichever one rolls out, we're going we're gonna to call that, we're going to call that God's choice, right? We see that in First Chronicles 26, 13 through 16. Listen, there's no need for that now, okay? Um, one, there's no other New Testament mention about casting lots, Okay. And this is the only time in the New Testament it's mentioned. All right, so why don't, why don't we need, why, don't, why did they need to cast lots to figure out who the Lord's choice was? And why don't we need to cast lots to figure out maybe who the Lord's choice is when calling someone to ministry or something? What's, 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 the, um, what's the difference between us and them now? Holy Spirit, yes, that's right. They're still waiting for the Holy Spirit that would lead them and that would guide them, that would give them wisdom, that would give them discernment. doesn't mean he wasn't working, because he was in part, but that wasn't normative, and so they, they cast lots. And then 10 days later, the Holy Spirit came, and there's no need for the casting of lots, because now uh, they have, we have the Holy Spirit, right? And that's a part of his ministry in leading us and guiding us. Okay, so concerning Matthias and, and, and Judas and God's plan and all of this, all right, listen. Matthias, right? The, the, the 12 names written on the 12 gates, right? In Revelation that I just read. So in a very real sense, okay, those names were written on those gates or on the wall, I think is what it said, before the foundation of the world was ever laid, okay? And, and it didn't say Judas, and then after all this bad stuff happened 2,000 years ago, God had to carve out Judas and replace it with Matthias, okay? Before the foundation of the world was ever laid, it, it said Matthias. God's plan from the very beginning was that Matthias would be 
the 12th apostle. Okay, that was his plan. Matthias wasn't plan B. Matthias was always plan A, but he needed Judas. He needed Judas for this, this, this short time, right? His, his plan for redemption would be carried out. So again, the summary, we're gonna, I'm going to pray after this, but it's this. And I think it's, 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 it's very full of application and how it affects us and how we can even apply it in our lives countless ways. But listen, God has a plan. We know that, right? Hannibal Smith from the A-Team, he always had a plan. Because it was TV, his plan always came together because if it didn't come together, we'd stop watching the show, right? God's plan always, always comes together. And it's always for his glory, and it's always for our good. And I'm excited, and I hope you're excited to see his plan, right, come together, right, for the church throughout the book of Acts. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. Oh, we praise you for you are sovereign over all things. Lord, that you are constantly working and, and moving and that you, you have a plan and your plan is one perfect. Um, though, though at sometimes it's painful, it's, it's perfect and it's good and it's right and that your plan will always come together, always, in fact, does come together, and it's always for your glory, and it's always for the good of those who love you, who are loved by you, and who are called according to your purposes. And so we thank you for that, Father. We know that there is, there is peace in that, and there is hope in that, and I pray that that peace and that hope that you provide us in Christ and through Christ is overflowing in our lives, not just simply for us, but for those around us who see us through these hard times. And they can look at us and say, how can they deal with this with such grace? How can they deal with this with such peace and joy? And then we can respond, it's Christ. It's Christ, because it's not about us, Jesus. It's all about you. From the beginning to the end, it's all about you. And in some mysterious way, we gain as a result. And so we praise you and we thank you for your salvation, which is our salvation. We praise you and thank you for the sanctifying work that you're doing in our lives and that you'll continue in our lives until either the day you call us home or until the day that you return. We love you, Lord. We praise you and we thank you. It's in your name we